this morning we're talking about the Sabbath, and I don't know what comes to your mind when you first hear the word Sabbath, but my guess is it's probably, I don't know, a bunch of outdated, outmoded uh, laws and rules and regulations that you think are, you know, that we all kind of think are designed to uh, ruin our Sundays. Um, you know, the, the word Sabbath actually means rest. It's a positive term. It's a positive idea. But most people, honestly, have a pretty negative understanding of it. And I think it's because of some of the laws that are out there. And so I thought I would share with you a few of the laws that are still on the books in various municipalities in our country. For example, you've lived in Jersey for a while. You probably know that you are not going to go shopping in Paramus today because Paramus and actually all of Bergen County, just about all you can get there is gas and groceries. You can't go to the malls. You can't go to any other of the stores because it's shut down for Sunday. And what's interesting about that is Paramus, the zip code for Paramus, is the number one grossing retail sales in the entire country. And they do that in six days. They don't do that with, with, with Sunday there. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? Okay, so that one there is a little bit annoying to us. Some of the others can get a little bit more funny. You may know about Bergen County, but you probably don't know that if you are a woman, you, should not, well, you are not allowed to walk down Broad Street in Elizabeth unless you are wearing a petticoat. That's still on the books there. If you're going to our state capitol down in Trenton this afternoon, make sure you don't eat any pickles because you could be arrested for that. If you decide that you want to fly to Florida and you are an unmarried woman, you may not skydive on Sundays. How's that? In Tampa Bay, Florida, it is, this is good, it's illegal to eat cottage cheese after 6 p.m. on a Sunday. I have no clue where that one came from. This is one of my favorites. In Ohio, now think about where Ohio is for a second. In Ohio, it's illegal to fish for whales on a Sunday. Apparently, about three years ago, somebody violated that law, and as a result, they had to shut down SeaWorld because there were no more whales left after that. It's the only place where they have whales in, uh, in Ohio. Here's some laws that uh, regulate behavior in church. If you're in Massachusetts, don't eat peanuts in church because that's illegal. In Alabama, it is illegal to wear a fake mustache and make people laugh in church. It's okay to wear the fake mustache, but if anybody laughs, then you can be arrested for that. In Nebraska, a parent can be arrested if their child burps in church. There's a good one. Salem, West Virginia, it is illegal to eat candy an hour and a half before a church service. Now, I understand that one. If you've ever been on our second floor, you know why you don't want kids sugared up with candy an hour and a half before church. That one they actually had some reason for, I think. But here's my favorite. This is out of all these, this is my favorite. In Nicholas County, West Virginia, no member of the clergy is allowed to tell jokes or humorous stories from the pulpit during a church service. There you go. And if that were in, fa- if that were in, 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 you know, in effect here uh, at Renaissance, I'd be in jail, and I think they would have given Rich the death penalty by now, you know, given, <laughs> given, given all that, uh, that we do here. No, but seriously, you know, we laugh at these laws um, because they, you know, they, they make us think about sort of the stereotype of what the Sabbath is as being just another antiquated rule that really isn't applicable to us today. And so I want to ask the question, you know, what difference does the Sabbath make to us today? Is it just an antiquated rule that was 
applicable to the nation of Israel back a few thousand years ago, um, or does it make any difference in our lives today? What's interesting about the Sabbath is that of all the Ten Commandments, that's the only one that's not repeated in the New Testament. So should we just kind of blow it off and and forget about it, or uh, should we live differently in light of it? And I want to begin to answer that question by looking at the context in which God gave the Ten Commandments. And the first thing that God did when he gave the Ten Commandments was to remind the people of Israel of their relationship with him. Exodus chapter 20, verse 2, God says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And then, after he reminded them of his relationship with them, with, with them, and only then did he go forward and talk about the Ten Commandments. I mean, stop and think about that. God says to Israel, hey, you were in slavery in Egypt for 400 years, and I rescued you from that. I love you. I made you my people. You're my people. I'm your God. Now, let's talk about the way that you ought to live your lives. He didn't give the rules first and then establish the relationship. The rules weren't the foundation of the relationship. The rules followed the establishment of the relationship. God gave his people the Ten Commandments in the context of his relationship with with them, and he established that relationship by saving them, by rescuing them from slavery. God is our savior before he's our lawgiver. And when we get that reversed, when we think of God as our lawgiver and then our savior, that's when we get messed up because we somehow get this idea, as Rich was mentioning last week, that by keeping the Ten Commandments or by keeping the laws, we can have a right relationship with God. And as Rich mentioned last week, no, that's not the way that it works. That's impossible. But if we understand that God's our savior first and he's our lawgiver second, then things work a whole lot better. God rescues us first, and then he says, okay, hey, look, here's how I want you to live your lives. When we understand that, it gives us a whole different perspective on the Ten Commandments. And with that in mind, with that as the foundation, let's take a look at the fourth commandment, the commandment regarding the Sabbath. Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 to 11, God says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. God gave the people of Israel the Sabbath because he knew that they needed rest. Think about the historical situation in which this came, and you you may or may not be familiar with this. Israel had been in slavery in Egypt for about 400 years. They were on duty pretty much 24-7. You don't give slaves a day off most of the time. They're working seven days a week, probably 12, 15, maybe more hours a day. Uh, They're dying young because of of the stress and all that's going on there. And God rescues them out of slavery to Egypt. 
You think the first thing that he's going to do when he rescues them out of slavery is to put them in bondage again to something like our stereotypical understanding of the Sabbath? No, he set the Sabbath for them as a blessing to them. It was sort of the first labor law that was in, you know, enacted. The first fair labor law says you get one day off a week. You know, when God's in charge, he says, when I'm in charge, you get a day off every week. And for them, this was revolutionary because they weren't used to it. They were used to working seven days a week. And so they look at this and say, this is great. God's given us a day off every week because we need the rest. And the same thing's true of us. We're like the the Israelites. We need rest. We need time off. We need a break. I don't need to give you all the statistics and all the, you know, the, the medical facts and things. You know about heart disease and stress and strokes and breakdowns in, in relationships and all the negatives that come from overworking, from working too much. You know, all work and no play makes Jack or Jane, you know, a dull person, boy, girl, whatever. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a horrible and difficult situation when you feel like you can never take a break when you can never rest. We know that, but we're often very slow to take a break, to take a rest. About one-third of the workers in the United States don't use all of their vacation days every year. And I bet if we took a survey of this congregation, it'd probably be closer to 50%, given the kind of work that most of us do and the fact that about 90% of us here in this congregation are these type A personalities. You know, so when you think about that, why, you know, what, what's going on there? Uh, last year, American workers left 436 million vacation days on the table. They gave those back to their employers because they didn't take them. And it's not because they didn't have them. It's not because they didn't know or even believe the importance of their vacation. What was going on? Why was it that that they did that? Why is it that 25% of the people who went on vacation last year ended up checking their voicemail or email, you know, when their work voicemail or email when they're on vacation? 30% report uh, trouble with uh, coping with stress and worry and concerns related to their jobs when they're on vacation. So we go on vacation, but we bring the job with us. You know, why is it? It's not a lack of knowledge. Why do we find it so difficult to rest? Several reasons uh, that I, as I was researching this, a number of different reasons that are given, but there's a pattern that seems to be followed. Watch this. People say things like, nobody else at my office uses all of their vacation, and I don't want to be seen as a slacker. If I use all my vacation, I might lose my job because nobody else is using all of their vacation. The place will fall apart if I'm away too long. There's nobody else who can do my job. If I'm gone too long, the work is just going to pile up and I'm going to be miserable when I get back. I have to spend an extra 20 hours the week before to get ready to go on vacation and another 15 hours catching up the week, you know, when I get back. What's the point of taking a vacation if I'm just really pushing all the work to the week before and the week after? You know, and that's, that's the situation uh, that people find themselves in over and over and over again. And it really boils down to an issue of fear. You know, I'm afraid of what's going to happen if I take a break. I'm, going to f- I'm afraid the work is not going to get done. I'm afraid I'm going to lose my job. I'm afraid that I won't get that promotion. I'm afraid, you know, the bottom line is it's an issue of trust. It's an issue of trusting that, that things are going to be okay if I take that break, if I take that vacation. 
Same thing is true uh, of, of sleep disorders, of short-term, especially short-term sleep disorders. Several different kinds of sleep disorders, but the one that 90% or more of us are going to suffer from at some point in our lives is what uh, the doctors call transient or short-term insomnia. That means one, two, three days, not weeks or months, but just you know a few days from time to time where we have trouble sleeping. And the number one cause for that is stress and anxiety. It's the mind that can't turn off at night. It's worrying about what happened. It's worrying about what's going to happen in this coming week. It's just the the accumulated effect of all the stress and the worry and the anxiety that we're carrying with us. And and my guess is that if if I were to ask for a show of hands, probably... I don't know, 10, 15, 20% of us had one night this past week when we had some difficulty sleeping, falling asleep or staying asleep because of things that we were worried about. And it wouldn't surprise me if there weren't a dozen or more who had some difficulty uh, last night sleeping. Uh, Different people do that. I've talked to a number of different ones of you for whom that's a struggle from time to time. The bottom line is that it's an issue of trust. Without trust, we can't rest. If we don't trust, we're not going to be able to rest. We're not going to be able to take our vacation. We're not going to be able to sleep. We're not going to have peace because we're worried about whatever is going on in our lives. A couple of weeks before God gave the Ten Commandments uh, to his people, they were out in the wilderness and they had run out of food. They came out of Egypt about two and a half months, actually about three months before God gave them the Ten Commandments. So about two and a half months after they had come out of Egypt, uh, they had been wandering through the wilderness. There were about two million of them. They had brought some food with them. They found some food out there, but they ran out of food and they began to worry and they began to be concerned. And they said to Moses, you know, what are you doing? What is this God, what is your God doing taking us out of Egypt. Does he want us to starve and die here? I mean, yeah, we had slavery back in Egypt, but at least we had food. What's he doing? And so God says to Moses, I'm going to provide food for you in a miraculous way. And you may or may not be familiar with this story. It's recorded in Exodus chapter 16. I'll just kind of summarize it for you, but if you take some time this afternoon, you find it a fascinating story. What God essentially does is he rains down bread from heaven for them every morning. So the first day, they wake up, and there's this white-looking stuff on the ground, and they say, what is it? And God says, yeah, exactly. It's, what is it? And the name that they gave to it was manna, which means, what is it? So they wake up in the morning, they say, what is it? And they say, yeah, that's breakfast. No, what is it? Well, it is, what is it? It's manna. It's, you know, it's kind of like that Abin Costello thing, you know, who's on first? So they've got this bread that is lying on the ground there. And God says, gather enough bread for yourself for today. Don't take more than you need for today because you don't have refrigerators and that sort of thing. It's going to rot by tomorrow morning. So gather it for today, eat it, and whatever is left over, throw it out because it's not going to be good in the morning. So day one, Sunday, for them, that was the first day of the week, they gathered all their, their food, you know, their bread. They ate it. A few of them left it over for the next morning. Sure enough, it began to stink. It had maggots in it and all that. You know, they had to throw it away. Day two, same thing. Day three, etc. After a few days, they caught on to the idea that they shouldn't leave any of it for the morning. The fifth day rolls around and God says, okay, tomorrow... When you gather your food, gather twice as much and watch and see what happens because it's not going to rot 
overnight. There's going to be enough for you for the seventh day. So on the sixth day, I want you to gather twice as much because I'm not going to provide you any food on the seventh day. And so they're saying, yeah, but it's going to rot. And God says, trust me, it's not going to rot. So they wake up on the sixth day, they gather twice as much food. They wake up on the seventh day, there's nothing on the ground out there. And lo and behold, their food has not rotted, it's preserved, and they're able to eat that on the seventh day. Now, of course, there are a few of them that were a little bit slow, didn't quite get the message, and they went out on the seventh day, found that there was no food on the ground for them, and they went hungry, and they learned the the lesson pretty quickly. What's God doing here? I mean, why does he do it this way? What God is doing doing for them is he's providing their food in a way that makes them trust him on a day-to-day basis. They have to trust him for their daily bread. And he's providing rest for them on that seventh day in a way that makes them have to trust in him. Because without trust, there's no rest. But if they trust him, they're going to be able to enjoy their rest. And the same thing is true with us. And so God set up that situation for them in order to teach them to depend on him. The Sabbath was his gift of a weekly reminder to his people that they needed to depend on him, really, for their very lives. Because in that society, you, you know, they couldn't go down to the grocery store. You know, never mind whether Bergen County was, you know, existing in those days and there were stores there. They, you know, they couldn't do that. They didn't have refrigerators. They had to wait day by day by day, trusting God to provide for them. In the New Testament, uh, Jesus says some very similar thoughts in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and I'm humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus is saying, you know, whatever it is, whatever is concerning you, whether it's your job situation, your family situation, your schoolwork, your relationships, your health, whatever it is, he says, hey, come to me. Give me your burden. I'll give you rest. Trust me and I'll provide you rest. He says, are you feeling guilty? You know, have you done something that you're feeling guilty about? Hey, come to me. You'll have forgiveness. Are you feeling overwhelmed? Come to me and I'll provide you perspective. Are you hurting? Come to me and I'll provide you comfort. And on and on and on. Whatever need we have, Jesus is saying, come to me and I'll provide you rest. I want to encourage you as you're thinking about this concept of a Sabbath. Don't think of it as this legalistic set of rules and regulations that you have to follow in order to have a relationship with God. Think of it as God's gift to us, as his provision for us for rest, for creating space in our lives so that we can grow in our relationship with him, so that we can trust him more and so that he can provide us rest. And with that kind of a perspective, with the perspective that says God has rescued us and now he wants to provide us rest, with that perspective in mind, let me encourage you to take an hour-long Sabbath every week, just an hour. 
the particular day, it doesn't, I mean, you know, if you want to make it Sundays, great. If Saturday works better for you, fine. If, you know, your day off or a day that works better for you is Monday or Thursday or, you know, the day is not important. Take, take it on whatever day you want. And even the time, I don't want that to become sort of a legalistic thing for you. I'm suggesting an hour because it's long enough that it's going to stretch you a little bit. And if you want to grow in your trust, if you want to grow in your relationship with God, we've got to be stretched a little bit. So I'm suggesting an hour because it's not five minutes, which is real easy to do. This will stretch you a little bit. I'm not suggesting more than an hour because I don't want it to become so much that it's going to discourage you and overwhelm you and you're not going to try to do it. So just shoot for about an hour. If you want to do a little less, a little more, that's fine. Again, the idea is take some time every week to come apart. Maybe it's, uh, maybe you're going to take a walk. I love taking a walk and just kind of clearing my mind and, and praying and thinking through what's going on and just kind of releasing those cares and those concerns over to God. Maybe you want to do take a walk. Maybe you want to go for a bike ride. Maybe you want to go for a ride in your car. Maybe you just want to sit, pray, read your Bible. I don't know what you'll do in your own little personal Sabbath, but use it as an opportunity on a weekly basis really to reconnect with God to come to him and say, okay, Jesus, you said if I'm weary and I'm burdened and I come to you, you're going to give me rest. Here's what's making me weary. Here's my burden. Here's what I'm concerned about. Could you give me some rest? Not just physical rest and do something that's going to give you physical rest, but also a real spiritual rest, something that's going to affect you in your inmost being. God gave the, the, the Ten Commandments in the context of, of a relationship. And the Sabbath is his gift to us to enable us to grow in our trust of him and then to find rest and peace and hope and encouragement and comfort and so on in him. I want to encourage you, set aside some time each week for your own personal Sabbath. Come to Jesus and let him give you rest. Let me pray for us. Father, it's hard for us. We are so busy. There are so many things that are going on. And at times it just seems impossible for us to stop and rest. Impossible to take all of our vacation. Impossible to take time off during the week. Uh, impossible not to, and, and it goes on and on and on and on. Father, I pray for each of us that we would be willing to, to, to trust you and to take some time off each week. You've given us this Sabbath principle as a gift. And Father, I pray that we would take advantage of that. And as we do, Father, I pray that we would find that we're growing in our trust of you, that we're growing in our love for you, that we're growing closer to you in our relationship with you, and that you're providing us rest. So Father, I pray that you would work powerfully in us. Thank you for that gift, and we thank you that you love us. In Jesus' name, amen.